Okay. Today I want to talk about AJ Piplica, who's the founder and CEO of Hermius, a tech startup, a deep tech startup that's building a hypersonic aircraft. It's a fascinating company. And I actually first met him on Twitter. I had made this joke about how if I were president for a day and I had complete control over the government, I would recommission the SR-71, the, the famous supersonic plane that was designed by Lockheed Martin Skunk Works and has been out of commission for a few decades now. And the reason was is that I thought that bringing the plane back would send an amazing message to the world that America just takes being in person super seriously. So, you know, like the queen had recently died and it would have just been so badass in my mind if the American president could have hopped on a supersonic plane and been in London paying his respects 90 minutes after the news broke instead of, you know, a few days later when Air Force One can kind of, you know, make a proper trip. And so I had, I had tweeted this this joke out and and AJ replied and was like, I'm going to make that a reality. And I was like, okay, yeah, like he's got this company, he's got some cool renders, like who, who knows like if he's actually going to do it. But I recently toured their facility and it's very, very real. Like he is absolutely building a hypersonic aircraft and I, I believe he's going to do it. And he's actually tracking his progress to the speed at which Lockheed Martin Skunk Works division built the SR-71. And he's trying to build a plane faster than they did, which is incredible because it's one of like the historical, um, you know, incredible projects like the Manhattan Project that just happened so quickly. And, you know, we don't really see that in government projects. Everything goes over, over budget and over time. And he's trying to bring that back. And it's really, really exciting to see. So, um, you know, I've toured the facility. I spent a full day there in Atlanta and I met with all the co-founders, saw everything in the facility, and it was just a fascinating experience. So I'm excited to tell, it, uh, tell you about it. And I've actually done a few videos on YouTube about supersonic technology in the past. One was about the SR-71, and then the other one was about this company, Boom, which is a Y Combinator company. They've raised a bunch of money and they're making a supersonic jetliner for commercial air flight. And it's a very, very different approach. Boom, as you'll see with the story, like they're going non-military, pure commercial. They're building a lot of stuff themselves. It's very capital intensive and Hermius and AJ have just taken a completely different approach. So it's definitely worth diving into. I want both companies to succeed genuinely just because it'd be really cool to be able to fly from New York to London in 90 minutes. Uh, and it would also be great if America could solve the hypersonic, you know, vehicle problem and have that technology defending us. But uh, uh I, I like how Hermius has kind of decomposed the problem on their side, as you'll see. So um, let's go into kind of why this matters. So the first thing is that the race for hypersonic weapons is super, super real right now. A lot of people, you know, it just gets lost in the headlines about like Russia, China, Ukraine, Taiwan. There's all these different headlines going on, all these different geopolitical things. But hypersonic weapons are really, 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 really big deal. And I'll explain why. So we, we actually have hypersonic weapons. Um, they're just rocket powered. So any ICBM uh, is is hypersonic. They travel at like Mach 15. And uh, every SpaceX rocket that goes into orbit goes well past, you know, hypersonic. And there isn't actually a true hypersonic barrier. Um, there's a supersonic barrier, which is very much defined by physics. It's the point at which there's a sonic boom. And 
and um, and so it's very very hard to get past that. But with hypersonics, that happens around Mach five, but it isn't a very specific binary moment. It's just a moment where you're going so fast that the air chemistry around the vehicle changes. So there's a whole bunch of new problems that you need to solve as an aircraft designer, and it's something that's really held the technology back. It works very well on missiles um, where you're sending off a rocket and you don't really care that it's gonna come back because it's gonna crash into your target. But in terms of reusable craft, which is obviously the future, hypersonic has been a real, a real tough thing to solve. And the fear is that when we, uh, is that China is developing hypersonic missiles in Russia as well. And these hypersonic missiles can potentially carry a nuclear warhead or potentially take out an aircraft carrier. And that creates kind of a zone of defense around China that won't allow our our aircraft carriers to, to maneuver into position. And if you remember during the Taiwan Strait crisis, we actually brought two air, aircraft carrier groups into the Taiwan Strait to kind of defend Taiwan. And if China has hypersonic missiles, um, we wouldn't be able to do that. And that's a big problem. And now the reason that hypersonic missiles and hypersonic weapons are so important is because it kind of splits the difference between what you get with an ICBM, which is really, really fast, but ultimately very predictable because you're launching this rocket, it shoots off from the ground and it's on a parabolic curve and you can kind of intercept it very easily. On the flip side, you have a cruise missile, which is, which is targeted with a turbofan. It's, it's, it's basically like a fighter jet. And that means it's very maneuverable. Uh, if you've seen the old uh, James Bond, Goldeneye, I think it's Goldeneye, um, there's this moment where they fire off the cruise missile and it's like flying through the canyons and it's evading defenses. It's going very low and it's very unpredictable. So it's hard to shoot down, but it's ultimately slow. So it can be shot down and we have systems for that. But no one can shoot down a hypersonic missile at this point because it goes so fast, Mach 5, and it's also maneuverable. So blending those two things together is really, really valuable. Now, Hermes isn't building hypersonic missiles, they're building hypersonic aircraft. And so that has a number of different applications. The first is uh, ISR or intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance, uh, which is basically cameras and sensors on a plane. And this will allow the Hermes craft to kind of get into enemy airspace and take photos and do reconnaissance without getting shot down because it's traveling so fast, but it's also not predictable, the, the trajectory. And then uh, and then ultimately they do want to turn into a, a weapons platform and deploy, you know, drop bombs or drop missiles from it. Um, and then ultimately in the long, long term, they want to be able to carry people because obviously that would unlock a ton of really interesting applications. Um, so the government has been working on this for a very long time. There's the SR-72, which is Lockheed's successor to the SR-71. Uh, that program is it was made public and then it was made private again when the stakes got raised and people started worrying about the hypersonic race really heating up. So we don't know that much about the, uh, the SR-72 project. Um, but then there's also uh, the Air Force's Mayhem project, which is another hypersonic program. And so Hermes is, is in kind of a, it, it's a very exciting space, but they're really the main startup that's really trying to go after this problem with kind of that startup mentality, really quick iteration. And we'll kind of get into their process of how they have solved some of the really hard problems to, to be able to iterate on this problem really, really quickly. Um, and so the other, the other point is that it's just an interesting company. They've raised $100 million from really cool uh, investors. Uh, Kosla did their first round. Uh, Kanan did their second round. And then Sam Altman did their third round. And Founders Fund is, is also invested. So obviously, I'm interested. Um, and uh, you know, it's always good to see Sam Altman investing in something other than AI, because it means that he doesn't just think that AI is going to dominate everything. <laughs> he thinks that in the future, there will be a need for hypersonic, hypersonic aircraft, which, which, which I love to hear. Uh, so let's go into the background on AJ. 
um, AJ, you know, he's born in Port Chester, New York, but he moved to South Florida in his early childhood. He loved Star Trek as a kid. And specifically, he, he loves that in Star Trek, most of the stories are driven by super, super fast vehicles. So all of the narratives revolve around going from one place to another extremely quickly. And so he develops this love of, of high-speed aircraft very early. And then he also goes to an air show and he sees a massive C-5 aircraft, which is like one of the biggest cargo planes that's used by the military. And he gets fascinated with this. Uh, and so he winds up going to study uh, engineering at Georgia Tech. He gets a bachelor's and a master's. He studied aerodynamics and fluid mechanics, which are like perfect for what he does because obviously when you're, uh, you need really good aerodynamics to go Mach 5. And then when you're going Mach 5, um, fluid dynamics comes into it because the air chemistry is actually changing around the vehicle. So he kind of has the perfect background for hypersonic technology. Um, and then um, he he gets his first job. He works at NASA, the Johnson Space Center, but he gets his first job in this really weird way where uh, his parents had gone to a talk that was hosted by Bill Nye, the science guy. And they while they're there, they meet the CEO of this small aerospace company called Spaceworks that's based in Atlanta. And the CEO, they, they tell the CEO, hey, we have you know this son who's really interested in aerospace. Um, and he's like, well, well, you should tell him to apply for an internship. So AJ does, and he gets an internship, and he starts working at this company. He works his way up from intern to eventually becoming the CEO of a full subsidiary. It's a really fascinating rise. He just, like, rocket trajectory, no pun intended. Um, and so he's an intern, and then he goes part-time while he's in school, and then after he graduates, he goes full-time at Spaceworks. And then Spaceworks creates a subsidiary called Generation Orbit, or GO, uh, which is what the guys refer to it as. And the idea with this subsidiary was that they were going to create a hypersonic launch vehicle for small satellites. So if you remember back in like 2013, 2015, there was a big, there was a big like kind of hype cycle almost around small satellites. So that's what, you know, SpaceX and Starlink became, you know, you put up a bunch of these communication satellites and then you can do interesting things, whether that's in-flight Wi-Fi or wireless in remote areas. There's a bunch of different applications and then obviously there's military, there's military contracts as well. And so he is building this team out. He comes and joins as, I, he technically joined as a COO of the subsidiary, but then he got promoted to COO and he basically builds out this whole team, hires a bunch of people and the four key people that he hires at this company become all of his co-founders at Hermes. And there's a very interesting kind of trajectory there. So they uh, wind up building this thing. It's basically a ramjet, but it's it's air launched. So the big problem with ramjets, which is really the core technology that unlocks hypersonic flight, is that you need to get them up to speed. You can't start them on the ground like you can with a turbofan. So a normal jet engine that you see in, an, in a fighter jet that takes off from an aircraft carrier, you spin up that engine and it just slowly starts producing more and more power until you're able to just take off and then you know, you can go really, really fast. You can go Mach, Mach 1, Mach 2, but those tend to cap out and they and you can't push a turbofan to Mach 5 where the air chemistry changes, the air starts getting compressed by the shock waves. Like it gets really, really complicated. So so basically what they would do is they would fly up in a plane and then they would launch the, the, uh, the ramjet, which would then push the uh, small satellite into orbit. And th th this was kind of the idea. Um, there's been a bunch of different approaches to launching small satellites, but that's what he was doing. And it's and so he's getting all this hypersonic experience, but he realizes that he wants to go bigger. And it seems like 
he basically built this amazing co-founding team, but they didn't really have support from the ownership because they're this subsidiary and they're kind of operating as a startup, but they probably didn't have equity like a normal startup. And it was kind of, and they probably didn't have all the decision-making authority and they clearly had the skill sets. So eventually they break off and it's kind of unclear how rough of a experience that was, but I get the feeling that, you know, it definitely shaped AJ's uh, worldview and his and his like drive like he wants to make this thing a success because of his experience in that kind of subsidiary world and now he really owns his own destiny and that's very satisfying to him so he puts together this team while he's there he he gets this guy glenn from blue origin skyler who interned at spacex and then he eventually hires this guy mike who has a phd and also worked at spacex so he has this really really solid team in aerospace um and they'd won some contracts at, at with uh the government and nasa and dod and they spent three three years working together but then they eventually break off. And so when they break off, they have this great founding team, but they're all engineers. And so they're not, you know, these financial shark guys who can go out and raise money on a, you know, a pitch deck and a render overnight and just put together a massive funding round like a lot of people could during the boom. Uh, This was around 2018 when they started the company. And so they're having a lot of trouble pitching the company. They apply to YC and in a really weird thing, like YC doesn't do second round interviews. They, they read your application, they do a 15 minute interview, and then they tell you, they call you and tell you, you got it, or they send you an email and say, sorry, you didn't get it. Um, but with Hermius, they actually gave them a second phone call and talked to them more and then decided that they didn't get the company. And this was like a really rough setback. Um, because obviously YC had funded Boom and it seemed like a cool would be a good fit, but the team didn't take it too hard. They just realized that they needed some people to help them pitch the company. So they put together this board of advisors of kind of more experienced, more reputable people who can kind of lend their credibility. And this board of advisors kind of helps them kind of get the round together. They get really, really far with one VC who they didn't tell me the name, um, but they, they were like clearly at the term sheet stage or in due diligence. And at the last second, they basically get rugged and the deal falls through and they're all crushed because when the guys started the company, they basically had all saved up enough money to live for six months on their personal burn rates. But if the, the company didn't get funding after six months, they were gonna have to get other jobs. Like the momentum was gonna stall. It probably wouldn't have worked out. So they're getting really, really close to this and they, and they lose the deal. And so they all just kind of like take a day off and they go and work on basically the stupidest business ideas I've ever heard. And I think that they would, they would agree that they were really dumb. Like one guy goes off and, and, and builds a business plan to try and create a party bus that has a hot tub in it. And he's solving all these complex physics equations to see how the water would slosh around. It's like really, really silly stuff, but it scratches that itch for like, you know, just like a, a really ridiculous problem that you can bring an engineering mindset to. They basically do a hackathon and, and AJ goes, goes off and thinks about selling Hamon Iberico, which is like this meat. I'd never even heard of it, but he's, he's thinking about buying this, this meat and selling it on the street kind of directly to people because he's found out that it has really high margins. And they're, they're basically just in the lowest of lows. But then they get an email from Coastal Ventures, who they had sent a pitch deck to and never really heard from a couple months earlier. And Vinod Kosla wants to meet with them. And uh, another one of the partners, Sven, uh, brings them in and they'd give this pitch. And at the time they were just doing like a pre-seed, like going to YC, they only needed like 100K, just kind of keep the lights on, 
you know, maybe don't even start building an engine because that'd be really expensive. Maybe just work on the pitch deck, the story, get some spreadsheets together and then go raise like a real, a real seed round. But Coastal is liking it. So they kind of size up their ask in mid meeting. They're kind of like, yeah, we could definitely put a million or two to, to work. So they get their seed round done. I think it's a couple million bucks. And that lets them go and build their first engine. And this starts kind of the cycle for Hermius, which is when you're doing this really hard deep tech problem, you can't just go straight to the finish line and try and build the hypersonic aircraft that has ISR capabilities and weapons on board and can defeat China. Like, like that's way too tall of an order. There's just too many unknowns. It's too, too capital intensive and there's way too much risk. So instead, they... They, they focus on this very broken up iterative approach. So they basically raise money and then they build an engine. Then they go and test it. And we'll get into testing. It's like, it's crazy how complicated testing is for this company. And then they get a contract with the government, which proves revenue or like demand. And then they go and raise more. And then they've just kind of iterated on this basically every year. And that's allowed them to solve some of the really hard problems with uh, working with the government and the DOD. Um, and so they... They get the money from Kosla, and then they um, and then they they start building their first engine. So they basically built this. Uh, I, I saw as a very rudimentary turbojet um, that spins up and pro- provides some propellant into the ramjet, and then at a certain point flips over, and then you're using the ramjet power. And that's kind of the the whole model. They're now building what's called the Chimera engine because obviously Chimera is like two things ma- melded together, and that really unlocks their ability to go both take off from the ground and go slow, but then also go really, really fast once the ramjet kicks on. And so they, they get through this, they go and they build the first engine and then they have to go and test it. And they, they find there's only like one or two wind tunnels that can actually test hypersonic engines that are publicly available, or you can just, they have capacity. They're probably some private ones, but you know, startups don't have access to those. And I actually talked to this defense journalist, Alex Hollings, who uh, and, and I asked him, like, if there was one thing that you could do, if you, were, if you were the president for a day, you know, what would you do to help America win the race for hypersonic weaponry? And I was expecting him to say, oh, you know, pump some money into grants or, you know, accelerate this project or that project. He, and he told me, no, the one thing that the government needs to do is have more hypersonic testing tunnels built at various academic institutions and research facilities, because that is where, that's truly where the, uh, the key like bottleneck is right now in hypersonic research. So the guys drive their engine up to Indiana. I think they went to Notre Dame where they have the tunnel and they test it and it works and they get good data and they prove that like this idea of, of running the turbojet engine and then switching over to the, the ramjet at a certain speed, like it will work. And so that unlocks their series A and then they, they, they get that done with uh, Kanan and and um, it's really funny about ramjets. Like everyone I've talked to who's technical in like the defense tech, uh, you know, hard tech world just loves ramjets. Um, there's this famous story about Palmer Lucky where when Trey Stevens was pitching him the idea for Anderol, Palmer was already building a ramjet in his in his swimming pool in Woodside, I think. And the neighbors were getting called, the cops were getting called because he's like building this crazy thing. But clearly 
every tinkerer loves ramjets and and it's it's really cool to see Hermes like finally trying to figure out how to commercialize these in a really serious way because it's a very old technology but the real problem is not necessarily the tech risk here and that's always kind of the best thing in defense tech startups is when they're not science projects. They're not trying to go off and, and invent an entirely new material or do fundamental material science research or have some fundamental breakthrough. It's more like the technology works. We just need to put it together in a different way. And then we need to solve all the hard steps of fundraising and then actually selling this into the military because that's obviously a really, really hard part. And so they um, getting getting into the military and actually solving the, the valley of death is, is a theme that I've seen with all these companies. And so the way Hermes solved it was, I mean, first off, they, they hired this great guy from Anderol who had worked there and had a bunch of experience selling to the military. And then they've, they really, really take a broad approach to what they're willing to do with government contracts. So their first contract, I believe, was to evaluate the viability of a hypersonic Air Force One. And at a, you know, I think they had a couple million bucks in the bank. Like there was no way that they were gonna promise to build a hypersonic Air Force One, but the fact that they, they, but so they were still able to get a contract and actually get some response from the government and get some, get some you know, buy-in that, hey, we will actually give you money. There's now revenue on the books just to deliver kind of just a report and some data. And, and that's been some of the early projects. Everyone, obviously, you know, you want to drive to program of record where, you know, the military and the government is buying a capability on an ongoing basis. They're actually deploying it. It's having an impact. But with something that's as complicated as building a hypersonic aircraft, like it's just not going to happen in year one or year two or even year three. So getting to the point, really understanding that and getting revenue on the books by doing these small programs where they can just turn over data or reports or just build one small piece for the government, but still satisfy and, you know, get good reviews and then, and then get ready for the next contract. That's been a really, really big piece. And so, um, one interesting learning, I mean, there's a bunch of interesting learnings, but, um, one thing that they focused on throughout my conversation and my tour of the facility was the machine that builds the machine. So they're not just focused on building one aircraft. They really need to solve the entire supply chain and figure out how they can build an organization that produces these aircraft in, you know, at scale in, in numbers pretty quickly, because if it works, we know that the demand is there. You know, Russia and China are building a lot of these hypersonic weapons already. And so as soon as this thing is ready to go, the government will need a lot of them. And so Hermes is going to need to solve their supply chain issues. So they, I think they got an investment from Raytheon and Raytheon owns Pratt & Whitney, which makes jet engines for American fighter craft. I think the F-22, it might be the F-16, but they've actually bought two of these huge Pratt & Whitney turbojet engines, and then they're going to, they're going to basically take off the back, the afterburner of those, of those uh, jet engines, and then attach their ramjets to them. And that will be like the way that they build their engine. And it's very interesting because they're clearly obsessed with this idea of build versus buy. Like there's a lot that they still have to build. They're constantly, I mean, for the first, for the first version, you know, I was talking to the co-founder about, um, about 
how they were, you know, bending the pipes themselves and like welding everything together themselves. And now they have like really big 3D printing machines and all sorts of different ways to fabricate parts. But something as complicated as a jet engine, they're not going to be able to rebuild that internally, um, at least not anytime soon. So that's kind of why they've partnered and how they're thinking about building that, that, that the machine that builds the machine. It's a really interesting phrase. Um, and then, you know, that obviously really puts them in a different a different strategy as Boom, which uh, was originally, I think, partnered with Rolls-Royce to buy their engine, but then that didn't didn't work out. I'm not exactly sure why, but now Boom is trying to build a fully custom engine and it's gonna be incredibly capital intensive. And the way Boom is solving it is they're going off and, and getting money from the, uh, from the uh, airlines and basically saying, hey, if you want you know, access to, you know, supersonic aircraft on your most important flight routes, you better pony up and give us $200 million up front or something like that. I don't exactly know the numbers, but, um, uh, but for Hermes, you know, the government um, wants them to, you know, really bring this to market as fast as possible. And obviously they don't want to get stuck in, you know, the, the integration hell technical quagmire that might come with, you know, trying to build a turbojet or turbofan engine uh, by themselves, especially when the off the shelf stuff works. Um, and then the last thing that I noticed with Hermes that's, that's kind of very interesting and maybe under discussed is that the 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 whole even though they're all engineers and you and and they had all this trouble pitching the company in the early days but they're all really really good at media now and i think they really understand the value of media even in a hard tech business where you're not selling to consumers like their their customers ultimately it's the government at least for the next you know who knows how many years but they, they, they have a podcast and they do a lot of media and they let YouTubers come in and like tour it and make videos and stuff. And, and, they, and they talk publicly about, you know, what they're building. And I think that that really lets them solve, you know, they're in Atlanta. They gonna, they're going to need to pull people from all over the place to build, you know, this really you know, solid engineering team. And so by being, by having all of the co-founders, you know, talk about the company culture, talk about the company, evangelize for what they're doing, they're, they're able to bring new, new, you know, the, the, the customer is almost the employee. So they're able to recruit a bunch of people. And then they're also able to uh, um, have a really, really polished resource for, you know, the various politicians to get up to speed. Like, you know, in Silicon Valley, I feel like everyone know everyone knows Anderol. But I was talking to a congressman a couple months ago who had no idea what Anderol was. Like it just it just wasn't on his radar. And he was like, he he was telling me that he like has defense budget to allocate. Um, and obviously, Anderol has like I think they have a hundred person team in Washington D.C. just to help like sell to the government, educate people. But there's just the government's so big. You know, there's 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 hundreds of elected officials and then like thousands of people in the DOD that you might need to coordinate with. And so um, being able to tell your story, like to be the the the, the Hermes team, like being able to tell their story, um, is really really important to get the important people and the key decision makers up to speed to be able to make a decision on a contract very, very quickly and, and maybe decide to take a meeting that they wouldn't otherwise. And I think that's kind of a new, it's kind of a new era. And obviously Palmer's leading the charge there, but um, there are obviously things that, you know, certain 
defense tech companies aren't going to be able to talk about. Like even while I was there, there were obviously things that were classified and and they couldn't talk about. But there's still so much cool stuff that they can talk about. Either you know, it's not just like the culture of their company in Atlanta. It's also just like the history of of this technology and why it's important. The geopolitical implications, like their 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 fundraising story and and what they're actually building. A lot of that isn't classified. Maybe the maybe the more minute details are. But uh, but it, but I, I was just very very surprised that they. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're so open and are so, are so capable of telling their story and, and really um, articulating like why, why this is such an important thing. Um, so yeah, that's the story of Hermes. I'm gonna do a bigger video on this um, and cut together a bunch of the interview footage that I uh, got while I was there. And yeah, I'm excited to share that with you.